Hello everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Fantasize Me, the podcast where I take characters real or imagined, and I fantasize them as D&D characters. I'm your host, Zach Katz. Let's, you know, let's freaking do this. I got like four hours of sleep, throat, scratchy, room, dry. Let's freaking talk about Leonardo da Vinci, right? Okay. Yeah, so not too much is known about his early childhood, because that wasn't really recorded, which makes sense. It was 1452. Obviously, people aren't going to record some random kid's childhood. He was a nobody, obviously, because he's a baby. And he was born out of wedlock. What? I know. To Sir Piero da Vinci, who is kind of like this affluent lawyer, and Katerina from the lower class. Oh my god, scandal. I know, I love it. So not too much is known about his childhood. There's a lot of debate about who he lived with, who his mother was even, uh, what Katerina he refers to in his notes and in his journals. He eventually had 12 half-siblings, who are just a lot younger than he was. The last of the 12 was born when Leonardo was already 40 years old. At about 14, he became a garzone, a studio boy in the workshop of Andrea del Verrocchio, uh, who is just this famous Florentine painter and sculptor. That's kind of when his working career started, so there's more information on him now. So as a young boy, his artistic talents were possibly already recognized early, which is how he essentially got this internship uh, with this famous artist. Three years later, he became apprenticed to him and remained in training for seven years. So with this guy for, you know, 10 years, he learned how to paint, he learned sculpting, woodworking, mechanics, uh, leatherworking, metalworking, uh, some chemistry. And as a kid, he wasn't given too much of an education uh, when it came to, you know, reading, maths, uh, writing. And again, it could have been because his artistic talents were recognized early, so those were focused on instead of the other subjects. But of course, Leonardo, this brilliant man, was good at those too. So Leonardo, when he was 20, he qualified as a master in the Guild of St. Luke, which was the Guild of Artists and Doctors of Medicine. His father set him up with his own workshop. So, you know, 20 years old, already this incredible artist, has his own workshop, uh, being commissioned to paint in chapels, to paint all these religious works. Eventually, obviously, he went on to paint The Last Supper. Ever heard of it? You probably have. That's Leonardo. That's one of his. The Last Supper. Even more famous, <laughs> let's see if you've heard of this one, Freaking deep cut over here. Uh, the Mona Lisa? Yeah, he painted that. He painted the Mona Lisa, and it's, like, one of the most famous and easily recognizable paintings ever. So he started as an artist, continued, obviously, to be an artist, but he had so many other interests and so many other fields of study that he was good at. He was an incredible scientist, he loved inventions. He drew on his knowledge of anatomy to pretty much draw machines the same way, to expose their anatomy. 
so that people could see kind of the breakdown of these machines in a more simple view and see their internal components. He devised a system of movable barricades to protect Venice from attack, and his journals included a big number of these inventions. Uh, There was actually a documentary in 2003 called Leonardo's Dream Machines, where a bunch of different designs of Leonardo's were built. And a lot of them were not practical and did not really work, but some of them were successful. And that's really cool. So just this brilliant guy, he was also really into anatomy and physiology. Uh, As someone who's taken a drawing class before, I know that anatomy is pretty important in drawing because you need to know like like, muscles and how like bodies move and look when they move. Anyway, he dissected a lot of human corpses uh, in Florence, in Milan, in Rome, just dissecting anyone he could get his hands on. I love it. Uh, He was just so curious about anatomical features and wrote a lot about anatomy. You know, he studied the mechanical functions of the skeleton, how muscles work, the vascular system, sex organs... Uh, He made one of the first scientific drawings of a fetus in utero. It's often noted that his drawings and his notation were ahead of their time and said if they were published, they would have undoubtedly have made a major contribution to medical science. But a lot of his works on anatomy were not published. He kept them all in his journals and his notebooks. There's also a lot of speculation on his sexuality, Which, I mean, come on, there's always speculation about affluent men and women being gay or bi, just, you know, not being straight, and all of the scandal surrounding that. Leonardo's feelings for his uh, pupils was described as both loving and passionate. People have claimed since the 16th century that these relationships were of a sexual or erotic nature. So there are court records of 1476 that show Leonardo and three other young men were charged with sodomy, which is, you know, anal or oral, in an incident involving a well-known male prostitute. But the charges were dismissed for lack of evidence. And of course, there is speculation that one of the accused was related to Lorenzo de' Medici, a powerful man. The family exerted its influence to secure the dismissal. And since that day, since the court case, much has been written about his presumed homosexuality and its role in his art. And if you look at his works, you do see the androgyny that is kind of manifested there. I don't so much see the eroticism that people claimed, but it was the 1400s, so... I feel like their view on eroticism was much different than ours is now. And this idea of Leonardo being gay was revived more recently by Sigmund Freud, uh, the father of psychology, who's just, he's gross. I have a lot of mixed feelings about him, most of them negative. But of course he would speculate into Leonardo's sexuality. Gone a bit off topic. It's fine. So we're gonna start... Now that we have some background on him, I think we have enough to pick his background. And fortunately for us, there is a background that's just called Guild Artisan. And as I said, when he was 20, he joined this Artisan's Guild, the Guild of St. Luke. So as a Guild Artisan, 
He will gain skill proficiencies in insight and persuasion, perfect, and tool proficiencies of one type of artisan's tools. We're going to go with painter's tools, or I think they're called painter's supplies. So he's got those, he's an excellent painter, and he also gets one language of his choice. And we will decide that once we pick a race. So guild artisan, perfect. Now let's go ahead and pick that race. I'm thinking something fun. I was trying to think about it, like, what race do I think is inherently artistic? And I'm like, ah, oh, I kind of want him to be a minotaur now because I don't think they are inherently artistic and that just seems beautiful. But let's not do that. We're just gonna go with elf. I think elf is fitting. And just like Loki's race in the last episode as a tiefling, Elves have a myriad of sub-races that we can pick from. So as an elf, his dexterity is going to go up by two. He has dark vision, which is awesome, proficiency in perception. He has fey ancestry, so advantage on saving throws against being charmed, and magic can't put you to sleep. So that's really cool. So if someone casts a sleep spell on you, it just doesn't work. Stay awake all day. And to that effect, elves don't need sleep. They have an ability called trance. So instead of sleeping for eight hours to get a long rest, they can meditate for four hours and have the same effect as a long rest. So I think that's awesome. They don't have to go to bed at night and waste all this time sleeping. Just four hours and they're good to go. For languages, they can speak, read, and write common and elvish. And for the language he gets as a guild artisan, let's do... Mm, I'm going to say he can speak Minotaur. So he's not a Minotaur, but I'm going to say he can speak Minotaur. It's not going to come in handy probably ever, but I think that's fun. And that's what D&D is all about. It's... <laughs> It's just about having fun with your buds. Okay, so now we can pick his sub-race. The sub-races, there's a bunch. All of them do different things. First of all, they all give a plus one to another ability score. So remember, most races have a plus two to one ability score and a plus one to a second ability score. Well, we have the plus two to dexterity just from being an elf, and depending on the sub-race, you get a plus one in a different ability. Like, as a drow, you get a plus one to charisma. As a sea elf, you get a plus one to constitution. We're going to go with high elf, because that gives us a plus one to intelligence, and I think, obviously, from how I've been talking about Leonardo, very intelligent. So as a high elf, not only does he get that additional plus one to intelligence, but he gets elf weapon training, which gives him proficiency with the longsword, short sword, short bow, and longbow. He knows one cantrip of his choice from the wizard spell list, and intelligence is his spellcasting ability for it. And, hey look at this, he gets another extra language. So he can already speak common and elvish, and then I gave him minotaur just as a stupid joke. But now we can pick one that you might actually use. So let's do halfling. Because from my understanding, halflings are usually artisans or in that sort of community. So it'd be good to be able to communicate with them. So now we have his background, guild artisan. We have his race, a high elf. Let's roll for stats. 
We're gonna take a six-sided die, roll it four times, drop the lowest number, and that is how you get one of the six stats. I'm just gonna do that six times. So that's what I did to get his six stats, and these numbers are great. He rolled so well. Okay. He got a 16, 15, 12, 13, 15, and 15. Three 15s. Honestly, I don't think I've ever rolled more fives when rolling for stats. It was like the first roll for every stat was a five. And it's not like I switch up the die that I use. I use a single die every time I roll stats. And for whatever reason, today it was rolling hot and it was rolling fives. A hot five. That's nothing. Maybe that's when you high five, but you're on fire. <laughs> Yeah, hot five. So these are great. So I think I already said very intelligent. So I I think I'm gonna put a 15 in intelligence. His highest number is 16. But with the plus one from his high elf race, that becomes a 16, which is a plus three modifier. If we put the 16 in there, it would become a 17, which is just also a plus three modifier. So I think it's better to get a second plus three modifier instead of just keeping the same one you have. So plus three to intelligence. Let's put the 16 into wisdom. So that's also a plus three. Now he has another two 15s. Let's do 15 in constitution, which is a plus two, and a 15 to charisma, which is also a plus two. And then I'm going to put the 12 into dexterity, and he gets a plus two to dexterity for being an elf. So that's a 14, which is also a plus two. And then we are going to put that last number, a 13 into strength, which is a plus one. So what incredible stats to start with. A plus one to strength, plus two to dexterity, plus two to constitution, plus three to intelligence and wisdom, and plus two to charisma. So that is 13 strength, 14 dexterity, 15 constitution, 16 intelligence, 16 wisdom, and 15 charisma. So good to start with. Now, because he's an elf, he already has proficiency in perception. And because he's a guild artisan, he has proficiency in insight and persuasion. So now we have that all squared away. We are going to pick class. Now, again, I'm just thinking, okay, what class seems really artistic? And I was immediately drawn to Bard because I'm always drawn to Bard. It's a great class. And specifically, it's a great class if you don't know what class you want to be. And what I mean by that is Bards can specialize in things, but they can also do a bit of everything. They can do damage, they can heal, they're full casters, so they have access to a lot of awesome spells for illusions and enchantments. They have a d8 for their hit dice, so they could uh, potentially be a frontline fighter if you pick the right subclass. So I think that's why I'm often drawn to them, because they can, they can pretty much do it all. Not always as well as other classes, but they even have an ability called Jack of All Trades which makes them pretty good at everything. We're not gonna go with Bard though. I'm gonna try to wean myself off of that being my go-to. We're actually gonna start with Artificer. And this is the first time we've had an Artificer on this. I'm not particularly fond of the class. Like I like the idea of it. It just seems like 
every thing for an artificer is so complicated. And obviously you will see what I mean, but all of the other classes have a few things that can be complicated, but it just seems like everything for artificer is complicated. And same with all the subclasses. I might just be stupid. It's fine. I'll get over it. So as an artificer, he's going to have a D8 for hit dice. So your starting health is just the max number plus your constitution. So he has a D8. So that's eight plus two for constitution, starting with 10 hit points. This is not bad. He's going to gain proficiency in light armor, medium armor, and shields with simple weapons, thieves tools, tinkers tools, one type of artisan's tool of your choice. So he's already proficient in painter supplies. So now he's also proficient with thieves tools, tinkers tools, and let's say sculptor's tools because he was also a sculptor. Those aren't like in the list of tools, but I think that they're fitting. Maybe it would be Mason's tools? Okay, forget Sculptor's tools. We're gonna go with Mason's tools because that's working with stone. And that makes sense. He's gonna be proficient in constitution and intelligence saving throws. And he can also choose two skills to be proficient in from arcana, history, investigation, medicine, nature, perception, and sleight of hand. Ooh, uh, already proficient in perception. Arcana, and, mm, I think I'm gonna go with medicine, because I did talk about how he was really into anatomy and physiology. And nature. So he was also very fond of nature, and it's even thought that he was probably a vegetarian. <laughs> Same. So at first level, artificers gain magical tinkering. They learn how to invest a spark of magic into mundane objects. So in order to use this ability, he has to have tinkers tools or other artisans tools in hand. He can then touch a tiny non-magical object as an action and give it one of the following magical properties of your choice. So he can just touch like a marble or a small rock, even a twig and give it one of the following magical properties. The object sheds bright light in a five foot radius and dim light for an additional five feet. Whenever tapped by a creature, the object emits a recorded message that can be heard up to 10 feet away. You utter the message when you bestow this property to the object and the recording can be no more than six seconds long. The object continuously emits your choice of an odor or a non-verbal sound like wind or waves. And the chosen phenomenon is perceivable up to 10 feet away. A static visual effect appears on one of the object's surfaces, and this effect can be a picture, up to 25 words of text, lines and shapes, or a mixture of these elements as you like. So those are the different properties you can bestow on this tiny object, and the chosen property lasts indefinitely. As an action, you can touch the object and end the property early, and you can even bestow magic on multiple objects, touching one object each time you use this feature, though a single object can only bear one property at a time. The maximum number of objects that you can affect with your magical tinkering at one time is equal to your intelligence modifier. If you try to exceed your maximum, the oldest property immediately ends, and then the new property applies. So right now with an intelligence modifier of plus three, he can use magical tinkering on three objects, or have three effects going at once, and they last until he either chooses to end them 
or tries to make a fourth magical object, in which case the very first one he infused is now no longer magical. So that's kind of cool. That could be pretty versatile. He has dark vision, but even if he didn't, he could create light. He can leave behind a quick message for his allies or use it to communicate with them more secretively. The only limit is your imagination and your intelligence modifier. Artificers also gain spellcasting at first level. They are half casters, so they don't have as many spell slots as, say, a wizard, but they can use their spellcasting to supplement different abilities they have, use it to supplement weapon fighting. You can just, you can do a lot with spellcasting. It's super versatile. So pretty much all spellcasting requires a spellcasting focus. I've never talked about that because I don't worry about it. But, you know, uh, some wizards need wands to cast spells. Uh, Clerics might need a holy symbol. Druids might need a, a symbol of some sort to cast their spells. Well, artificers need tools. So artificers' spellcasting focus are specifically thieves' tools or some kind of artisan's tools in hand when you cast any spell with this spellcasting feature. I, I like that idea more than, like, a wizard needing a wand because I just think it's funny that, like, he's holding his painter supply, so he's holding a paintbrush, and he needs that in order to cast Cure Wounds. That's, that's just funny to me. That tickles me. I don't know why, but it does. I have an alchemist in one of my campaigns, and I say he's not magic. He just uses, like, science. So that could be Leonardo da Vinci's whole deal. Like, oh, he's not using magic to cast Cure Wounds. He's making a salve with his paintbrush. So at first level, he knows two cantrips of his choice from the Artificer spell list. And remember, as a high elf, he gains a cantrip from the wizard spell list. So he's going to have three. So we're going to go second level in Artificer, where he can now infuse items. At second level, he gains the ability to imbue mundane items with certain magical infusions. The magic items you create with this feature are effectively prototypes of permanent items. So this is different from his magical tinkering, where he just puts a spark of magic into mundane objects. This puts more magic into mundane items. Eh. So you can pick four artificer infusions to learn, and then you're going to learn additional infusions of your choice as you level up. So in order to infuse an item, whenever you finish a long rest, you can touch a non-magical object and imbue it with one of your artificer infusions, turning it into a magic item. Pretty cool. An infusion works on only certain kinds of objects as specified in the infusion's description. So some of them you can only infuse on a weapon or a piece of armor, something like that. If you decide to attune to the item later, you must do so using the normal process for attunement. I don't worry about attunement. I probably should because my player's just running around with a ton of magical items. Uh, attunement means I think you can only have three three magical items attuned to you. And the reason is essentially so that your players don't run around with a ton of magical items. So that's a whoopsie on my part, but I just let them have fun with it. So usually you can only be wielding or carrying three magical items that you use. And once they're attuned to you, no one else can use them. So like the magical tinkering that can just stay on indefinitely, your infusions can also last indefinitely. When you die, the infusion vanishes after a number of days have passed equal to your intelligence modifier. 
So if Leonardo da Vinci were to die, then his infusions would fade after three days. The infusion also vanishes if you give up your knowledge of the infusion for another one. So every time you level up an artificer, you can replace one of your artificer infusions you've learned with a new one. If you use an infusion to like make a piece of armor stronger, and then you forget how to make that piece of armor stronger, obviously it's going to lose the infusion. That makes sense. At the end of a long rest, you can infuse more than one non-magical object, and the maximum number of objects is in a column in the artificer table. So right now, you can infuse two items after a long rest. You have to touch each of the objects, and each of your infusions can be in only one object at a time. No object can bear more than one of your infusions at a time, and if you try to exceed your maximum number of infusions, the oldest infusion immediately ends, and then the new infusion applies. So much like magical tinkering, if you try to put a second ability on it, the first one will vanish and the second one will take root. So there are a bunch of artificer infusions to choose from. Some of them have prerequisites, like certain level requirements. I think we are going to go with pretty simple ones. We can choose four right now. We're going to choose Enhanced Arcane Focus. So you can infuse magic into a rod, a staff, or a wand. And this requires attunement. So when holding this magical item you make, a creature gains a plus one bonus to spell attack rolls. They also ignore half cover when making a spell attack. So if an enemy is hunkered down partway behind something, you can just ignore that cover when you are attacking them with a spell. There's Enhanced Defense. That's going to be our second infusion. You just need a suit of armor or a shield, and the creature just gains a plus one bonus to armor class when wearing or using the infused item. Third one, enhanced weapon. You just need a simple or martial weapon, and this magic weapon will now grant a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls made with it. For the fourth one, we are going to go with mind sharpener. So for this one, you need a suit of armor or robes, and the infused item can send a jolt to the wearer to refocus their mind. The item has four charges. When the wearer fails a constitution saving throw to maintain concentration on a spell, the wearer can use its reaction to expend one of the item's charges to succeed instead. And the item regains 1d4 expended charges daily at dawn. So the first one gives plus one to spell attack rolls. Second one gives plus one bonus to armor class. Third gives plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls for a simpler martial weapon. And the fourth one allows you to automatically succeed on constitution saving throws to maintain concentration on a spell. So pretty cool. Again, I've been talking about Artificer for a long time and he's only second level because again, everything for the Artificer is just really complicated and takes a long time to explain. Bear with me, it's fine. At third level in Artificer, you get the right tool for the job. So you learn how to produce exactly the tool you need. So if you have a Tinker's tool in hand, you can magically create one set of Artisan's tools in an unoccupied space within five feet of you. The creation of these tools requires one hour of uninterrupted work, which can coincide with a short or long rest. Though the product of magic, the tools are non-magical, and they vanish when you use this feature again. So say Leonardo loses his painter supplies, he can just use the right tool for the job to make more. Pretty cool. At third level, you also get your subclass, called Artificer Specialist. And for this one, I think we are going to go with Artillerist. 
yeah, I think we're going to go with Artillerist. None of the others seem fitting, and uh, Leonardo was instrumental in the defending of a lot of Italian cities. So Artillerist, using magic to hurl energy projectiles and explosions on a battlefield, essentially just magical cannons. Pretty cool. So when you adopt this specialization at third level, you gain proficiency with woodcarver's tools. So that's awesome. Now he has proficiency in tinker's tools, thieves' tools, painter's supplies, mason's tools, and woodcarver's tools now. You can do a lot of things, very crafty, just like, you know, in real life. Perfect. Artificers have to prepare their spells, so unlike sorcerers and bards who just have a set spells that they know and can use, artificers can switch theirs out after a long rest. But now he knows some artillerist spells, so he always has certain spells prepared after you reach particular levels in Artificer. So right now at third level, he always has shield and thunder wave prepared. At 5th level, he'll learn Scorching Ray and Shatter. At ninth level, he'll learn Fireball and Wind Wall. And I don't think we're going to go any higher than that. But there are spells at 13th level, Ice Storm and Wall of Fire. And at 17th level, Cone of Cold and Wall of Force. So a bunch of options, pretty cool. At 3rd level, he also gains the ability Eldritch Cannon. Pretty much, he learns how to make a cannon. A magical one. Using woodcarver's tools or smith's tools, you can take an action to magically create a small or tiny eldritch cannon in an unoccupied space on a horizontal surface within five feet of you. Which is so awesome. A small eldritch cannon is going to occupy its own space, and a tiny one can even be held in your hand. Once you create a cannon, you can't do so until you finish a long rest, or until you expend a spell slot of first level or higher. You can only have one cannon at a time, and can't create one while your cannon is present. So, say you make a cannon, you can't just go ahead and immediately make a second one. You have to expend a spell slot of first level or higher before you regain the ability, and still you can't create another cannon because you have one there. The cannon is a magical object. Obviously, it's a magical cannon, of course. Regardless of size, small or tiny, the cannon is going to have an armor class 18 and a number of hit points equal to five times your artificer level. So currently third level artificer, his cannon is going to have 15 hit points. It's immune to poison damage, psychic damage, and all conditions, like being frightened or poisoned. If it's forced to make an ability check or a saving throw, treat all its ability scores as 10. If the Mending spell is cast on it, it regains 2d6 hit points. It disappears if it is reduced to 0 hit points, or after 1 hour. You can also dismiss it early as an action. So say you make a cannon, you aren't happy with it, but you can't make a new cannon unless yours is gone. You can use an action to dismiss it, and then your next turn, you can use an action to just create a new one. When you create the cannon, you determine its appearance and whether it has legs. <laughs> you can give your cannon legs, and you decide which type it is. On each of your turns, you can take a bonus action to cause the cannon to activate if you're within 60 feet of it. And as part of the same bonus action, you can direct the cannon to walk or climb up to 15 feet to an unoccupied space, provided it has legs. So that's awesome. So you can create the cannon as an action and then use a bonus action on that turn and subsequent turns to activate it and fire out the magical cannon stuff. And we'll see what those options are now. So when you create it, you decide which type it is. There is the flamethrower. And when you activate the flamethrower, the cannon's going to exhale fire in a 15-foot cone. 
Each creature in that area has to make a dexterity saving throw against your spell save DC, or take 2d8 fire damage on a failed save, or half as much damage on a successful one. The fire ignites any flammable objects in the area that aren't being worn or carried. So that's really awesome. As a bonus action, you can just do 2d8 fire damage to a bunch of targets. It's really cool. The second option is Force Ballista and you'll make a ranged spell attack originating from the cannon at one creature or object within 120 feet of it. So it's got great range. On a hit, the target takes 2d8 force damage, and if the target's a creature, it's pushed up to 5 feet away from the cannon. So that would be great if your enemies are far away and they're running towards you. You can blast them a few times before they even get close enough to attack you. And the last one is Protector. The cannon emits a burst of positive energy that grants itself and each creature of your choice within 10 feet of it number of temporary hit points equal to 1d8 plus your intelligence modifier, which is 3. So that's awesome. Every round on your turn as a bonus action, you can potentially give your allies 11 temporary hit points. Temporary hit points don't stack, so if they have any left over from the previous round, they will just take the highest number of temporary hit points. So that's pretty neato, right? He's got a bunch of cannons, Leonardo, coming at you with a flamethrower. I love that for him. So his spell save DC is 8, plus his intelligence modifier, plus his proficiency bonus. So with a proficiency bonus of plus 2, and intelligence of plus 3, his spell save DC is 13, and his spell attack bonus is just his intelligence plus proficiency, which is a plus 5. So if you use the flamethrower, they have to make a... DC 13 dexterity saving throw, and if you use a force ballista, you add plus 5 to your ranged spell attack from the force ballista. We are going to go 4th level in Artificer now, and as a 4th level Artificer, you gain an ability score improvement. So for this ability score improvement, since he's using intelligence a lot as an Artificer, we're just going to bump that up to 18, which is a plus four. Every ability score improvements, you can increase one ability score of your choice by two, or two ability scores of your choice by one, or you can choose a feat. I love feats, but we're just gonna raise his stats to start, and then we'll give him a feat later, for sure. Artificers also have an ability called Proficiency Versatility. So whenever you gain the ability score improvement from this class, you can replace one of your skill proficiencies with a skill proficiency offered by your class at first level. And the proficiency doesn't need to be from this class. So I guess it's whenever you gain an ability score improvement. So what this means is if he wanted, he could drop that medicine proficiency and say, pick up an investigation proficiency. I'm happy with his proficiencies. And again, just complicating things. So we're going to leave it as is. And multi-class. So now fifth level overall, we are going to become a first level cleric. Clerics are a great class. I love clerics. Clerics also have a d8 for their hit dice, so won't cause any confusion with that. And they also gain spellcasting. So three cantrips of Leonardo's choice from the cleric spell list. Uh, just like artificers, clerics prepare their spells, so they pick them out after a long rest. And his spellcasting ability is going to be wisdom. So he just made his intelligence plus four, wisdom is still sitting at plus three, and that's what he's going to be using for his spellcasting ability for all of his cleric stuff. Now, normally it's not recommended to multi-class into a class that uses a different spellcasting ability. So he uses intelligence for artificer, so it would make sense for us to go to wizard, which also uses intelligence. 
but no, we're not going to do that. It's fine. We just have to make sure to pay attention that for cleric, he uses wisdom. For artificer, he uses intelligence. It helps a lot of people to keep separate spell sheets, to keep track of the separate uh, spells they have prepared, uh, their separate spell save DC, spell attack bonus. So at fifth level, his proficiency goes up to plus three. So now his spell save DC for cleric is three plus three plus eight, which is 14. And spell attack modifier is plus six. Beautiful. He's also going to choose his divine domain, which is the subclass for clerics. And we are going to pick nature domain. Now, I picked Nature Domain because Leonardo was pretty into nature, and there is a cleric subclass called the Knowledge Domain, but I don't like it. So we're going to go with Nature. So just like Artificer, they have some spells that are always prepared. So at first level, Nature Domain clerics get Animal Friendship and Speak with Animals. He would have loved that. He also gets Acolyte of Nature. So at first level, he learns one Druid cantrip of his choice. So going to gain an additional cantrip, going to have a bunch of those already, and also gains proficiency in one of the following skills, animal handling, nature, and survival. Already has proficiency in nature, and the other one I think is fitting is animal handling. So we're going to give him proficiency in that. Also at first level, he's going to gain proficiency with heavy armor. So normally, if you're wearing heavy armor and aren't proficient in it, you have a hard time casting spells because you're just encumbered by this heavy mass of metal. But now he doesn't have to worry about that. He hit the gym. He did a few push-ups. He's good to frickin' go. And now he can wear this heavy armor and still cast his spells without a worry. Sixth level, we're going to go second level in Cleric. And that is going to give him Channel Divinity, which he can use once per long rest. He has the turn undead ability, so as an action, each undead that can see or hear Leonardo within 30 feet has to make a wisdom saving throw, and if they fail, they're turned for one minute or until it takes any damage. So it spends its turn just trying to run from you. Pretty cool. But he also gets a channel divinity from his nature domain, and that's called Charm Animals and Plants. As an action, each beast or plant creature that you can see within 30 feet has to make a wisdom saving throw. And if the creature fails its saving throw, it's charmed by you for one minute or until it takes damage. And while it's charmed by you, it is friendly to you and other creatures you designate. So that's awesome, because he has the Speak with Animals spell. So if you come across a hostile beast, you can use Channel Divinity to charm them. And then Speak with Animals, so you can talk to them, you can get some information from them, you can learn their name, their upbringing. Just have a lot of fun with it. Seventh level, we are going to go third in Cleric, which just gives access to second level Cleric spells. Eighth level, we are going fourth in Cleric to get another ability score improvement. Hey, look at that. Let's bump that wisdom up. So now that's plus four wisdom as well. So now intelligence and wisdom are both plus four, which will hopefully rid us of any confusion we have in differentiating between Artificer spells and Cleric spells. I think we're going to keep Going in Cleric, so ninth level, we're going to become a 5th level Cleric. So now your Turn Undead turns into Destroy Undead. 
So when an undead that has a challenge rating of one half or lower fails its saving throw against your turn undead feature, the creature is instantly destroyed. I don't think the destroy undead ability is useful, like, at all. Because think about it, right now he's ninth level, he's really powerful, he's... What are the chances he's going to come across really weak undead? I, I, I don't know, I just think it's a waste. Sixth level in Cleric, tenth overall, he can now use Channel Divinity twice between long rests. And he also gets a Divine Domain feature. So from his nature domain, he gains Dampen Elements. Starting at 6th level, when Leonardo or a creature within 30 feet of him takes Acid, Cold, Fire, Lightning, or Thunder damage, he can use his reaction to grant resistance to the creature against that instance of damage. So say an ally gets hit by a fire bolt and is about to take some fire damage, you can just use your reaction to half that damage. That's so cool. Or, you know, if you're caught in a fireball, you can use Dampen Elements to just take half damage. And I think that's really awesome because, one, you can use it on allies or yourself, and two, there's no limit to how many times you can use it. It just costs one reaction. It's only against the instance of the damage. So if someone's hit by Firebolt and they take that fire damage and you use this to half it, and then they're hit by another Firebolt, that second one is not going to be dampened. It's not going to have its damage halved. Again, still super cool. Seventh level in Cleric, 11th overall. He's getting real strong now. He's just going to gain access to fourth level Cleric spells. Have some fun stuff there to use. And we are going to go to 8th level Cleric, 12th level overall, and I think this is the last one in Cleric we're going to go into. This gives another ability score improvement, so I think we're just going to max out Wisdom. So now Wisdom is 20, which is a plus 5, the highest it can get, barring any magical items or special abilities. His Destroy Undead gets stronger. So now when an undead of challenge rating 1 or lower fails its saving throw against your turn undead feature, they are instantly destroyed. That is much more feasible than one half, but again, you're 12th level, so you're, you're going to be running into really strong undead creatures that aren't going to be affected by that destroy undead. He's also going to gain a divine domain feature from the nature domain, and that is going to be divine strike. So now his weapon strikes can be infused with divine energy. Once on each of your turns, when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, you can cause the attack to deal an extra 1d8 cold, fire, or lightning damage to the target. And you can choose every time you attack. So I think that's pretty cool. You can use an infusion to make your weapon stronger, and then use divine strike to deal additional elemental damage. Pretty awesome. So that's it for Cleric. So at 13th level, we are going to hop back over to Artificer. So as a 5th level Artificer, you gain an Artificer Specialist feature. So as an Artillerist, he's going to gain Arcane Firearm. So now Leonardo, he's been working on his magic tinkering. He knows how to turn a wand, staff, or rod into an Arcane Firearm, a conduit for his destructive spells. Every time Leonardo finishes a long rest, he can use his woodcarver's tools to carve special sigils into a wand, staff, or rod, and turn it into his arcane firearm. Like pretty much all the other artificer stuff, the sigils disappear from the object if he later carves them on a different item, so only one at a time. Otherwise, the sigils on that will last indefinitely. 
And now you can use the arcane firearm as a spellcasting focus for the artificer spells. So now he doesn't have to cast cure wounds with his chisel. He can use this magical staff. Also now, when you cast an artificer spell through the firearm, roll a d8 and gain a bonus to one of the spell's damage rolls equal to the number rolled. So that's pretty cool. If you cast a damaging artificer spell, it does an additional 1d8 damage. I don't think that's particularly great, but there you have it. Sixth level artificer, this is 14th overall now. He's going to gain tool expertise. So now his proficiency bonus is doubled for any ability check he makes that uses his proficiency with a tool. That's pretty awesome. Right now at 14th level, he has plus five proficiency bonus. So say he's going to use his tinker's tools, that's going to be intelligence plus proficiency, which is a plus nine. But now that he has expertise with them, he's going to have a plus 14 to any role he makes with his tinker's tools. And, you know, that's going to be same with the wood carving tools or the masonry tools, the painter supplies, uh, thieves tools. He's just got a lot. He's, he's just really good at using his tools, which Leonardo definitely seemed to be. He was so brilliant. 7th level as Artificer, 15th overall, he gains the ability Flash of Genius. So when Leonardo or another creature he can see within 30 feet of him makes an ability check or saving throw, he can use his reaction to add his intelligence modifier to the roll. And then that feature can be used a number of times equal to his intelligence modifier. And all expended uses are recovered when he finishes a long rest. So that's pretty cool. Uh, if an ally looks like they're going to fail their saving throw, he can use a reaction to give them an additional plus four to that saving throw. Or if they're trying to make a perception check and he thinks they're going to fail, he can add a plus four to it. I think that's pretty cool. Eighth level in Artificer, 16th overall. He's now an eighth level cleric and eighth level Artificer. He gains another ability score improvement. Well, let's just finish off that intelligence to make that a 20 as well. So now he has a plus five to intelligence and wisdom. Very smart, very wise. 17th level, we are going to go ninth in Artificer, which gives another Artificer Specialist feature. So as an artillerist, he's going to gain Explosive Cannon. Starting at 9th level in Artificer, every Eldritch Cannon he creates is more destructive. Now all of the cannon's damage rolls increase by 1d8. That's pretty good. So now the Flamethrower is going to deal 3d8 fire damage, and the Force Ballista is going to deal 3d8 force damage. Also as an action, Leonardo can command the cannon to explode if he's within 60 feet of it. He can just use an action to blow it up. Doing so destroys the cannon and forces each creature within 20 feet of it to make a dexterity saving throw against his spell save DC. Well, as a 17th level character, his proficiency bonus is plus 6. Intelligence is maxed out. So that's going to be a DC 19 dexterity saving throw. Or take 3d8 force damage on a failed save or half as much damage for a successful one. So before... Leonardo can only have one cannon going at a time, takes an action to create it. Makes sense. He's making a whole cannon for one action, all right? And he can also get rid of or disassemble the cannon as an action. But now he doesn't need to waste his time disassembling it when he can just use that action to blow it the hell up and take everyone down with it. That's fun. 
I do like that. Not a big fan of Artificer, but just being able to make a cannon, shoot people with flames, and then when you're like, oh, well, I want a different cannon, just blow it the hell up. It's beautiful. 18th level, we are going 10th in Artificer. He's going to gain Magic Item Adept. So now he has a profound understanding of how to use and make magic items. I said earlier, you can only attune up to three magical items at once. Well, Leonardo, as a magic item adept, can attune four magic items at once. Also, if you craft a magic item with a rarity of common or uncommon, it takes you a quarter of the normal time and it costs you half as much of the usual gold. So you can make magical items, usually they're not great. Artificers, obviously, are better at it. 19th level, he gets the ability Spell Storing Item. So 11th level Artificer, he learns how to store a spell in an object. Whenever he finishes a long rest, he can touch one simple or martial weapon, or one item that he can use as a spellcasting focus, and he stores a spell in it of first or second level from the Artificer spell list that requires one action to cast. And what's cool about this is you don't actually have to have the spell prepared. It can just be any from the Artificer spell list that's first or second level and requires an action to cast. While holding the object, a creature can take an action to produce the spell's effect from it, using your spellcasting ability modifier. If the spell requires concentration, the creature must concentrate. The spell stays in the object until it's been used a number of times equal to twice your intelligence modifier, or until you use this feature again to store a spell in an object. So twice the intelligence modifier, that means he has an intelligence modifier of 5, so this spell can be used 10 times, which is insane. So some ideas, he could just store a second level cure wounds in it. I'm not entirely sure if you can put a first level spell in there as second level, maybe not. But either way, you can put cure wounds in it and just give it to an ally that maybe doesn't have any healing spells, and that way they now have the ability to heal, and they can do it 10 times. It takes an action each time, and a first level Cure Wounds isn't a ton of healing, it's just 1d8 plus 5, because it uses your spellcasting modifier. But still, that's so cool. That's so fun. And again, 10 times, you can get 10 Cure Wounds out of this. Even if it takes an action to cast it once, it it's still cool. It's, it's awesome. This is a fun ability. It's a shame you get it at such a high level, though, but... It makes sense because it is pretty powerful. 20th level, we are going 12th in Artificer. The final level gains another ability score improvement. Well, look at that. Intelligence and Wisdom are both maxed out. So we are finally going to give Leonardo a feat. So the feat that I'm going to go with is not the most exciting. It is called Skill Expert. So one of Leonardo's ability scores increased by one. So I'm thinking let's just bump that constitution up to a 16, which will make it a plus three. And constitution determines health. So now that it's increased by one, it is going to retroactively add 20 hit points, one per level. So that's awesome already gained 20 hit points. He's also going to gain proficiency in one skill of his choice. And I am going to go with Arcana. So he's proficient in Arcana now as well. And he can choose one skill he has proficiency in and gain expertise in that. So he already has expertise with his tools, but now he'll have expertise in one skill that he's proficient in, which doubles his proficiency bonus. And for that, I think I'm also going to pick Arcana. 
in this world, there is no, mm, like, art skill or crafting skill. I think Arcana is the closest to that. So with a plus five to intelligence and expertise, he now has, he went from having plus five to Arcana to plus 17. So gained 20 health and additional plus 12 to Arcana. I think that's pretty cool. And that's Leonardo. He's great at everything. He is a renowned polymath, which is just someone who is really proficient in a lot of subjects, just highly intelligent. And they kind of draw on all of these different things they're knowledgeable in to solve different problems. Like he used his knowledge of the human body to, from his painting, to kind of bleed into anatomy and physiology and vice versa. And then he used that anatomy and physiology to help with his engineering and how machines would kind of work in his inventions. I think that's really cool. But yeah, that's Leonardo. We did it. We got, we got the guy. We got him. So Leonardo da Vinci, this brilliant polymath, his background was guild artisan. His race was high elf. He was a level eight nature domain cleric and a level 12 artillerist artificer. Artillerist? No, artillerist is right, because the other thing I said was nonsense. We ended with 13 strength, 14 dexterity, 16 constitution, 20 intelligence, 20 wisdom, and 15 charisma. Such good stats. For proficiencies, we have plus 11 to animal handling, plus 17 to arcana, plus 11 to insight, plus 11 to medicine, plus 11 to nature. Look at that. Plus 11 to perception and plus 8 to persuasion. So many skill proficiencies and so many of them were over 10 because intelligence and wisdom account for most of the skills that you can be proficient in. Saving throws, he has plus 9 to constitution saving throws and plus 11 to intelligence saving throws. The languages he knows are common, elvish, minotaur, and halfling. He had so many artisan's tools. He had tinkerer's tools, thieves' tools, painter's tools, uh, or painter's supplies, mason's supplies, woodcarver's tools... I don't know why some of them say tools and some of them say supplies. Is a paintbrush not a tool? Whatever, it's fine. And he ended with the feat skill expert, which is what gave him that plus 17 to Arcana. So I think we created a pretty awesome character, right? Like, I feel like he has this really good mix of nature and kind of this arcane science, which I find really fitting. As an action, he can just create a flamethrower and then use a bonus action to just shoot fire at his enemies. He can use his reaction to reduce some elemental damage on himself or an ally. Uh, you know, he can store spells in his blasting rod that he made. He has a bunch of cleric spells that he can use at his disposal, a ton of artificer spells. Uh, he's a half caster as an artificer and a full caster as a cleric. So his spell slots ended up being four first level spell slots, three second level spell slots, three third level spell slots, three fourth level spell slots, two fifth level spell slots, one sixth level spell slot, and one seventh level spell slot. 
The highest artificer spell he can learn is third level, and the highest cleric spell he can learn is fourth level. So he can't actually learn fifth, sixth, or seventh level spells, but he can still use those spell slots, which is really awesome. We also only talked about the four infusions that he got when he first learned infusions. At this point, he has a lot more and can infuse more things at a time. He has eight infusions that he knows and can infuse four items. So some other really cool infusions that he, or that you might want him to learn. There's Homunculus Servant, where you can just create a special homunculus that serves you, which is awesome because Leonardo da Vinci had a kind of invention idea for a mechanical knight. So I think this is pretty fitting. He can create armor that's resistant to acid, cold, fire, force, lightning, necrotic, poison, psychic, radiant, or thunder damage. So that's really cool. Another really cool item is called the Spell Refueling Ring. So it requires attunement, and while wearing this ring, Leonardo can recover one expended spell slot as an action. That's so cool! Usually it takes like a full eight hours to recover spell slots. And the maximum level of the recovered slot is equal to the number of magic items the wearer is currently attuned to. And once used, the ring can't be used again until the next dawn. What's cool about that is Leonardo can have four magical items attuned to himself. So just as an action, he can get back a fourth level spell slot, which is so awesome. Just such a cool thing to be able to do. There's the Helm of Awareness, which requires a 10th level artificer. You infuse a helmet, which requires attunement. While wearing the helmet, a creature has advantage on initiative rolls and also can't be surprised provided they aren't incapacitated. So that's pretty awesome. So there are a bunch of infusions that are pretty freaking cool that he can learn. Boots of the Winding Path, where you infuse a pair of boots that require attunement. A creature can teleport up to 15 feet as a bonus action. That's, that's it. You can just permanently be able to teleport as a bonus action. So, I think Artificer is a really complicated class. Everything takes just so long to learn and to look through and to explain. But I think you can have a lot of fun with it. Again, there's a character in one of my campaigns who's an Artificer, uh, and, you know, they're a lot of fun. Full disclosure, they are an NPC and I play them. But regardless, they're a lot of fun. So I don't think Artificer is a bad class. It's I think it's a terrible beginner class. Like if you're just starting to play D&D, maybe don't play Artificer unless you're ready to be confused often. Because I play a lot of D&D and I have a podcast about it. So obviously I look at the classes a lot. I... I forget so many things that the Artificer can do because there's just so many things and so many rules that go along with every Artificer ability. Anyway, that's Leonardo. <sighs> that's our guy. We got him. So yeah, thank you for listening. This was a lot of fun. Follow me on Twitter at FantasizeMePod. Email in character suggestions at FantasizeMePod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. We'll do this again next week. Bye.